0: today's episode of Miss Congeniality is brought to you by Athletic Greens. So I have been recently really into AG1 by Athletic Greens, Color Me Influenced, but with the author era coming up and some of my recent health scares, I've been really focused on extra immune system support and any way I can get a little more energy and just feel healthier because obviously I've just had a tough month. And also I love a beverage and it's much easier for me to drink something nutritious than to like take a pill. And I really have noticed just an improvement in my digestion, clearer skin, better hair. I just feel better when I drink it in the morning and it's super easy. I just put it in my water bottle. I have my little beverage you know, and I go about my day. AG1 gives you increased energy and mood support. It just makes it easy to live your best life and that's, you know, that's what we want these days. Every single scoop is also packed with like a ton of vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients. And what more could I possibly ask for than that? That I trust them. That makes me feel good. So if you are looking for an easier way to take supplements, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash Eli. That's athleticgreens.com slash Eli and go check it out. Love ya. Hello my friends and welcome back to another episode of Miscongeniality. We made it. It's Friday. Maybe it isn't Friday when you're listening, but it's Friday if you're listening as a regular listener. But I don't know, maybe some of you are first timers, so welcome or welcome back. I'm Eli. I'm I'm the host here. And we have a lot of we have a lot of good stuff in store today. Today's episode is going to be about like I don't really know how to put it, but I think I'm going to say just creative ambition and creative confidence and also just like going after what you want and not feeling bad about it. And to help me out, I do have a little interview with the graphic designer and creative assistant here at Miss Congeniality, my great friend Jonathan. We did a little interview the other day and there are two reasons why I wanted to start introducing you guys to some members of my team. Number one, because I think they're amazing and they have amazing insights. But number two, a lot of them are professionals in their field and can really take you through like... I don't know. I want to have my literary agents on and they could take you through if you want to join that path or if you want to write a book. I want to have some people from HarperCollins on if I can so that they can take you through the process of working in publishing and being a publisher or an editor. I want to have my managers on. And I thought we would start with Jonathan. He's a very talented creative and graphic designer, but I just think his story speaks volumes to what I'm going to talk about before our little interview. And I'm really excited about it. But first, wow. Let's get into it with some updates. It is the precipice of 4th of July weekend. I cannot believe my birth month is finally here. It is cancer season. Everybody say happy. Wow. Everybody say happy cancer season. My God. And I am post-surgery. I'm feeling good. I, yeah, I I had my procedure a week ago today. I am recording Wednesday, June 28th at 2.01 p.m., And it went pretty well. You know, I think it was a little bit more complicated than I anticipated. Like based on like what I read about appendicitis surgery, because mine wasn't like, okay, appendix bursts, we take it out. I think it was a little more complicated. So the surgery was supposed to be like 40 minutes to an hour. It ended up being two hours, but it was kind of nice. He did tell me when I woke up, he was like, there's an a hundred percent chance you would have relapsed if we didn't take this thing out. It looked funky. We cleaned it out down there. The tissue's gone. Everything should be feeling better. And so because of that, the recovery, the first few days was a little bit more difficult than I anticipated. But it was nice to just like chill, relax, rest at home. That's basically what I did. Um, Didn't really watch a whole lot of anything too interesting. I was watching some Sex in the City, watched some Gilmore Girls. I finished and started Haley Jacobson's debut book, Old Enough, which I can't recommend enough. We'll talk more about it. And yeah, I, I stayed at home through Saturday and then I came back to Jersey City at my new apartment with my boyfriend and just relaxed through the weekend. Nothing too crazy. And now I'm trying to get back into it. Um, I think today is probably the first day that I'm feeling like actually well, which is awesome. And that's amazing. So thank you guys all for the well wishes. It went well. There's no more appendix. Got to get a new personality trait, but you know, I think, I think I have some ideas up my sleeve. Okay. So my friend Haley Jacobson's book old enough is so good. I'm not just saying it because she's my friend. She's an amazing writer. And the story is about this girl, Sav. And basically she's she's kind of grappling between her identity. I can't explain how fucking much I related to this book. She's grappling between her identity at home. And she's from sort of like a very waspy suburban area and has this best friend who's like very sorority girl, very like normal, like sweet, but normal. And maybe a little bit like a little bit confused also. And, um, Sav has this whole life at college where she's an art student and she's just come out as bisexual and she's coming into her sexuality and queerness and all these things. And she just feels like she's like caught between these two worlds. And then her best friend tells her she's getting married. And her best friend's older brother is, um, the, the person that, R-worded, trigger warning, R-worded, Savannah when she was in high school. And so it's it's really just a beautiful book about gender and expression and finding yourself and survivors. I, I do think a trigger warning is necessary. There's a trigger warning in the book. There is, um, you know, a lot of the book is about assault and about survivors. I would say I'm, I'm someone who's very sensitive to depictions of assault and sexual assault and I was not triggered, but I know I am not everybody. Um, I found it was handled very well and very gently and nothing was described in any sort of detail that I could not read it or that I had to skip over it. I do want to just give the disclosure. If you're sensitive to those things, those topics are spoken about in the book, but I thought it was done in a very, very good way. But ultimately, like I weeped at the end of this book. It's literally beautiful and run, don't walk to read it. It's a great beach read also, because while it is so dense and moving, it also is so fun and flirty and cute and sweet and just I don't know. It's about like friends and love. I, I just fucking loved it. So 100% recommend go get your hands on it if you haven't. So something else that I thought that we would discuss today is the very fact that I am always late to everything pop culture wise. I think you guys know that. What I mean by this is like euphoria. I did not watch season one of euphoria until there was three seasons. Like sometimes getting caught up in the cultural zeitgeist of things makes me really overwhelmed and anxious. So like, something like watching succession, I never could have done that live because the active like conversation around it overwhelms me to a point where I feel like I can't separate my own opinions about this thing from other people's. So I typically tend not to watch super popular things like in the moment. It just become this joke that I'm like late to everything and I'm not a big movie watcher because I have such a short attention span. So I haven't watched like any of the greats, like the movies that you guys think of that you're like the best movies of all time. And I'm not talking about like my best movies of all time, like 27 dresses. I'm talking about like critically acclaimed Oscar winning movies. Like I probably haven't seen them. One of those is fucking Titanic, like the Titanic movie about the Titanic. And the reason I haven't seen it is because When I was like 17 years old, I woke up one day and I realized that every single fucking person on the face of this earth has watched that movie. And it became like, I didn't think there was a good time to be like, hey, everybody, I've never seen it. Something else about me, I'm not really the type that when I'm alone, I'll watch a movie. There's a lot of other things I would do if I'm by myself before putting on a movie. That's like something I even forget that I could do. Like that's not an activity that I would do. I would always watch TV far before I watched a movie. And so I couldn't, like, I wasn't going to watch it alone. Like, there's no fucking way I could even hold myself accountable for a three-hour movie. But also, like, I could not say this to anybody. It became mortifying. So I always just, like, went along with the fact that I had seen the Titanic, and I'd be like, haha, the Titanic. Like, yeah, for sure. Um, had never seen it. And then my boyfriend and I were trying to decide what movie to watch over the weekend. We passed the Titanic, and it had, like, skyrocketed on Prime Video because of the situation with the submarine. My boyfriend was like, should we watch the Titanic? as like a joke. And I go, I've never seen it. And he was like, put it on right now. We watched it. I loved it. I wept. I think it's a it's beautiful. People really should have been more serious about me watching it earlier on. But now I'm thinking that I might start a series where I watch like movies that are like popular and I give my like unabashed reviews because I had a review. I had I had thoughts. I had feelings, as one does. Ultimately, Rose is my queen. Um, what a fucking baddie. Like truly truly deeply love her sad that you know the submarine situation had to be the reason that i had this come to jesus moment about the the titanic but truly like my only take on the submersible of it all and i will say it, it is sad like i i not gonna lie i've laughed at the memes the jokes are funny people lost their lives it is heartbreaking especially that young boy it's devastating it's sad um, but the one thing that I will say just to add to the conversation is that I 100 fucking percent my first thought when I heard missing submarines, six billionaires was there's not going to be one woman on this thing because no fucking women would ever go on this fucking stupid fucking tin can. And I was right. OK, and that's all I'm going to say about that. My ass doesn't do things that have a whole lot of risk involved unless it's like emotional risk, like physical risk to my body, like my like health, that's not gonna happen for me. Never would've got on the thing. Red flags out the was. Um, and I just think, you know, Google exists because you can Google Titanic wreckage and like literally watch videos of it. I did happen to see a movie that I liked more than the Titanic this week, which was the theater camp movie. I got to go to an advanced screening of it. And it was so lovely. First of all, there was a cocktail hour at a Broadway theater right next to the movie theater. And I was talking to Ben Platt. I love to like discuss Ben Platt as though we're friends. Like we're simply not. I like, we are just mutuals on TikTok and he knows who I am, but like, whatever. He's so lovely. He's so nice. Just wonderful. So I talked to him for a little bit. And then I talked to Beanie Feldstein for a little while and she is literally in person, just inside and out. So gorgeous. Like, skin glowing face, like she's just really beautiful. And I was talking to her about how I just thought that she acted the absolute shit out of Fanny Bryce. Like, I don't know if any of you guys saw her as Fanny Bryce. I had the immense privilege of seeing her. And I just thought she brought this like zest to the role that I had never seen. I feel like part of the reason that we do revivals is so that people bring a new life to a piece, whether that's bringing a new life to a character or the direction or whatever it is, it's about reviving it, reviving. It's not about like replicating, then it would be called a replica. And I just loved the way she revived the role. And I just was like, you're such a fucking talented actress. It's crazy. And she was so nice. Literally, I'm talking to her. Then her and Ben Platt see each other for the first time and they're like best friends. So obviously interrupted by their like heartwarming moment. So I like turn and talk to my friends. And like 10 minutes later, she came back to find me to finish our conversation. Like she is so nice. Shout out Beanie. But then we saw the movie. And let me just tell you, this movie is my Barbie. This movie is Oscar worthy. Basically... It is documentary style, like a fake documentary about a theater camp. And the whole premise is like, these kids are like uber talented, but the theater camp is kind of like, it's kind of a shit show. And all of the like counselors at the theater camp are such theater camp counselors, can't describe them in any other way. And the woman who's like at the head of the theater camp, who's like preventing it from basically foreclosing and like losing all this money goes into a coma, during a production of Bye Bye Birdie. And so they have to just like figure it out without her. And it's the funniest actual movie I've ever seen in my entire life. I was absolutely wheezing, sobbing. There's a song at the end. This song, like, let me just check if it's on Spotify. Like, they need to put that shit on Spotify. It's like the catchiest fucking shit. I don't know if I'm allowed to sing it. Theater camp. I'm like, I I could sing the song for you guys. First of all, nobody wants that. But like, damn, there's not. Like, I really wish the song is so good, guys. Like, I don't think I can sing it for you because the movie's not out yet and I don't want to be that girl. Like, I don't want to get in trouble with these people, right? Like, this movie is like, the people that made this movie are the people that like, I love these people. Like, I want to get invited to everything they ever do for the rest of their lives ever. I'll be there. And so like, I'm not going to sing the song and like, be the one that like, ruins things. But the song is so fucking good at the end. It's an original song. I'm still singing it in my head right now. You guys just don't know it. Anyway, when that movie comes out, you need to go see it. Can't give a better endorsement. It was phenomenal. Speaking of events, I am going to the Summer I Turn Pretty premiere party tomorrow. Very excited. I'm hoping they show us the first few episodes. They did do that last year. And it was just, it was a moment. It was so much fun. I'm really looking forward to it. The cast will be there. Jenny Han will be there. Jenny Han and I kind of have like, we've had a couple moments. Like, I don't know if she remembers this. We were both super drunk leaving the National Book Awards and we like shared a moment on the sidewalk. Um, Love her. So that should be really fun. Stay tuned for that. The other thing I wanted to talk about media wise is, listen, I didn't get past the first like two seasons of Riverdale, but why am I so fucking invested in the fact that they just filmed the last episode and like how like fucking attached these people are to it? And then I realized like, Lily Reinhardt is 26 so she was like 18 or 19 when like Riverdale was started to film like they've been filming the show for seven years so she must have been like in the audition process getting cast in Riverdale since she was like 16, 17 fucking years old like This woman's entire, like entire formative chunk of life was during this show. Like all of them. I cannot imagine how they feel. And like, it kind of like made me want to watch it. But like, listen, I have no idea anything about what direction the show took. The Sprouse Man kind of stresses me out. And I feel like it was scary there for a second. Also, this is not a show my boyfriend will watch with me. And these days I only watch shows that he'll watch with me because I don't really watch TV by myself. Um... But, yeah, I've been just really thinking about how, like, go look at all their Instagram posts. Like, there's something just truly just so sweet about it that I feel like you guys need to just look at. Um, And also sound off in the comments if you've ever watched all the way through all of Riverdale, if Riverdale is something that you like. Like, what happened to it? Is it good? Should I get invested in it? I don't know. Um, Oh, another thing. This Sheen Influencer Trip thing is really crazy to me. It's really crazy. I did go down a full fucking rabbit hole watching all the content and like wild. I feel like it's intention versus impact. Like I understand what the intention is. The intention is like, okay, like we need to like prove that like we're not shitty, but it's like, well, when you are shitty, you can't just like lie. And like, that's clearly what happened. I saw a video of this lady breaking down how the like, um, warehouse that they brought these influencers to to be like, look at our good working conditions, like why it was fabricated and like how it's like not actually like where they do anything. Just nuts. Like so, so crazy. I've had Shane like email me a bunch before. They're very, very like crazy. Like they email you a million times when they want to work with you. And like I couldn't get them to stop even when I was like, no, I'm not interested. It's it's nuts. Like I I don't know. I don't know like What else to say? But I feel like if I was an influencer who like went on this trip, like part of me wonders if like whatever they were publicized about what the trip would be was different than it actually was. But also, it's like I just wouldn't go on the trip. I don't know. Just it's it's a crazy thing to watch, truly. Okay, but I have a really good touch grass of the week. I want to talk about this Sophia Colpo Braxton Alex Earl drama, but the touch grass is not going to be what you think it is. Genuinely. What are people doing on TikTok? I see grown people over the age of 25 being like breaking down the drama between Sophia Coppola, Alex Earl, and Braxton. And I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? First of all, everybody has been 22 years old before. And like dating a guy and whatever, and everybody has done that. Every single person has also had their ex move on and their ex might have been shitty or hurt them to somebody else. Everybody has been both Sophia and Alex. Leave them alone. Leave them alone. Like, leave both of them alone. I literally, what shocks me so much is not that, like, any of this happened, right? This shit happens. Like, everybody is somebody's ex, and especially when it's in the public eye, like, that shit, is, that shit hurts, and, like, a lot of times, like, I'm not supporting... Sophia Copo like making a video that was like unkind to Alex at all, but like sometimes we do things that we deeply regret. Hence why her video is taken down. When we're in the heat of the moment about an ex thing, like that sucks. Like I I have been there. I literally have been there. So like yeah, but the people, the grown people who like are pretending to be investigative journalists, like reporting on this situation. Like, please touch grass. Like, these are just two girls that probably are watching all this unfold in front of their eyes being like, please leave me alone. Leave me alone. Like, Alex didn't even want to confirm that they were fully dating because she knows about the the way that people like run with this shit. Just like leave them alone. And this is exactly how I feel about the person who threw their ashes, their, their mom's ashes on the stage at the pink concert. I don't know if you guys know this, but like someone literally threw a bag of their mom's ashes on the stage at the pink concert. It's like the person who threw the phone at BB Rexa, stop throwing things at people. Stop being weird. Like you, like, touch grass. I'm sure that your mom's ashes, like, I'm sure that there was the thing. And like, pink was her favorite artist. Like, but like, don't throw it at pink. What is she going to fucking do? I feel the same way about grown adults reporting on 22 year old girl. Who's just like trying to live her life on TikTok. It's like, what are you doing? Touch grass. Like, I really feel like for both of them, they just want to be left alone and are probably just like, can everybody stop talking about us? Like whatever. And then Braxton had to like go on Instagram and like clear the air. And I'm like, you know whose fault this is? The fake investigated journalists on TikTok who literally report on like Charlie D'Amelio, like it's their fucking job. Like I just feel so odd about it. I'm like, these are just people trying to live their lives. Leave them alone. That's my two cents because I've literally heard everybody talking about this on TikTok. And I feel so bad for both these girls and honestly for this man too. Like everybody involved in the situation have just gotten caught up in the fact that people on TikTok like think that they have like are entitled to like I don't know, unpack their lives. It's like they're people. They're people. Get with the program. Okay, but the last thing I want to tell you guys is kind of exciting. I have a guest next week on this podcast. And this guest is one of, if not the most, notorious and infamous people that I could probably come in contact with. I don't want to give too much away because I don't really know how to feel about it at this point. I don't even know how this happened. But ultimately this person is somebody that I have watched from afar on the periphery since 2019, to give you a hint, because the situation that went down with them involved was impossible to look away from. And there was a lore that I can't quite put into words that a lot of you know about because you were caught in this rip current as well. Like you couldn't pull away. You just had to go out with the tide and like try to understand what was going on. And this person, I think infamous and notorious are two good words to describe them. I am really excited to, to put on my interviewing cap and interview this person in a way they haven't been interviewed before. I just want to get inside their brain. And from an objective point of view, like who really are you? So Maybe if you guys have a guess, you can let me know. I feel like she's Oh, I just gave it away by saying it's a girl. Well, I think you guys could have figured. I think she's like a contested person. Like but I think every it's a, it's almost like a household name. So, that'll be next week. Very excited. But let's get into talking a little bit about creative creativity and creative freedom. I think that a lot of people might look at me as somebody who has always been creatively confident and felt super confident in my creative work and my writing. And, has, and I've just felt like since day one, like no problem. Like I can, you know, I'm going to be a writer. I can be a good writer. I'm going to write plays and do all these things. But it actually took me a really, really long time to believe in myself creatively. Like when I was in college, I write about this a lot in the book. I did not believe in myself creatively. The reason I went to college for theater and writing was because I was much better at those things than I was at math and science, but I definitely didn't feel like I believed in myself. Like, I never believed that I would actually amount to something at that point. I just believed like, okay, well, like what else am I going to study? Like, I'm not really good at anything else. Like, I guess I like at least love this and I'm like pretty decent at it. And I think that it, it throughout college, I didn't really believe in my creative output or my creativity or my talent maybe even though I was like in rooms that were affirming that I was talented and I was worth it and maybe I could make it it's kind of awkward to be like confident that you're good at something I think as women specifically we're made out to feel constantly like we're not allowed to be like I did a really good job at that or like I'm a really fucking good writer like we hear men all the time kind of self-affirm or say things that they're good at but for some reason if a woman god for fucking bid says i'm 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 a really good runner i'm really good at yoga people are like she's so full of herself she's so egotistical you know she's an egotistical maniac and it's like no like she's literally just a woman who knows her worth who knows that she's good at something we have been told that that's threatening that that's bad that that's icky And for a really long time, I think I felt really deeply caught in the throngs of that where I was like, I cannot admit that I feel like I'm good at something. I cannot say that I'm good at something. I'm not allowed to do that. It makes me full of myself. It makes me self-centered. And that's just bullshit. And it takes a really long time to get comfortable with it. And I think on some level, there's a level of like self-obsession or narcissism. If you like literally think you have what it takes to be a New York Times bestselling author, like... Yeah, there might be a little bit of narcissism there, but I think that that's what you need. There's bravery, there's narcissism, and there's just like knowing your own worth and being confident enough to say it out loud. Like, yeah, I want you right now, whoever you are listening to this, to to tell yourself, I am really good at X and say it out loud. It feels weird. I still am uncomfortable and like take a pause before I'm like, I'm a good writer it makes me feel really nervous to say that because I'm like, people are going to say like, oh, she's so obsessed with herself. No, she's not like, ew, disgusting behavior, like so full of herself. And it's like, I literally have heard men say it for so long. Like, why can't I say it too? And so, and I, and it kind of reminds me of like, I always think about this, but like people who are like, I've wanted to be a model my entire life. I'm like, So did you know you were, you must have known you were very beautiful if you're confident enough to say, I wanted to be a model my entire life. And I love that. I'm like... I wish, I wish that I had that self-worth and like, no, like I'm not beautiful enough to be a model. So like, I never thought that about myself, but like, think about it. Like we must look at those people who say like, I aspired to be a model my whole life and be like, okay, so you knew you were beautiful. And like, that makes us feel kind of weird that someone knows that they're beautiful and knows their worth, but it's like, why is that a problem? Like she should be able to be like, yeah, I knew I was fucking beautiful, period. And I knew I was going to be a good model. Like I think that for so long, I just felt really trapped. Like I wasn't allowed to be confident in my own creativity or just be confident that I was good at something. And so eventually... I think I just put aside the creative confidence thing and decided I would just be insecure and like feel super weird about it and feel like I was probably never going to make it. But I would I would lead with the fact that I loved doing it and I loved creating so fervently and the passion was so tangible and so gigantic and like pulsing through me at such a rate that I couldn't look away from things like theater and playwriting And writing poetry and fiction and short stories and essays, like, I just decided, you know what, like, who the fuck knows if I'm good at this or not? I don't know. I'm not going to, I'm not very confident about whether or not I'm good at it. I don't really feel like I believe in myself, but I I love this so much that I'm going to lead at that. And then I started to have the whole academic validation thing, but it was crazy. I would be academically validated to the high heavens about my plays or my poetry or my short stories. I would win awards. I would get internships, do all these things. I did not feel like I was good enough. I still did not feel like I was worthy, like I was going to make it. I still didn't feel confident. And that's when I realized academic validation is like a little a little bump when you need a line, not to like make a cocaine reference. Like that's just crazy. But like, it's just like a little jolt, but you need to be the one giving yourself your own validation to believe in yourself. And your art gets so much fucking better when you get over yourself. And so- I would also like to add that I'm a pretty self-aware person. I wanted to be in musical theater my entire life. I wanted to be a performer. And when I was a junior in high school, I started to do the audition circuit. The only audition I ever went to was for Carnegie Mellon's musical theater program and their acting program. I think I told this story on um, my podcast with James Rose. If you listen to that podcast with them, you'll hear me tell the story about my audition and what the head of the drama department there told me that has stuck with me for the rest of my life. But... That was the only one I did before realizing that I am not good enough to be on Broadway. Never going to happen. Not going to happen. I don't have what it takes. And that is not me being mean to myself. There are just things that I know in my heart I'm better at and more naturally gifted to than being a musical theater performer. It was never going to happen for me. It's just something that I loved. And so I think I pivoted away from that to, to sort of center writing. And it just took a really, really long time for me to believe in myself. So once I realized that academic validation wasn't going to do the trick, I sort of realized like, I need to get over myself. Like I was locking myself in a small windowless room and being like, boo-hoo, I don't know if I'm confident. I don't know if I'm good at this. I don't know if I'm good enough. Like, oh my God, I can't, I can't do this. Like I'm never going to make it. And it's like, you're the only person telling yourself that bitch. Like you literally have people telling you the exact opposite of that. And on top of it, like. Who the fuck even knows? Like, you're the only person keeping you locked in this room. You're holding the key in your hand to get out of this room. It's all your fault that you're in here. And so I kind of just got over myself and was like, okay, subconscious thoughts become conscious actions. Fake it till I make it. Like, yeah, I am fucking good at this. And for so long, I was shocked when people would tell me I was a good writer or that my plays were good or that something that I did was good. Like, it would actually genuinely shock me because I really, really didn't believe in myself. But eventually, I was like, I just... I'm just going to get over myself and I'm just going to go for it. And maybe it feels a little weird to be like, yeah, I'm good at this. But eventually I'm just going to be like, yeah, I'm really fucking good at this. You know, they say it's cringe until you're successful. And that's something that my good friend, Audrey Peters always says. And I've been thinking about that. And that's like definitely true. Like it's definitely cringe when you're on the come up or like trying to do something. Like it was, sorry, there's like meetings going off on my computer. This always happens. Like what do we have going on today? It literally just says write in my Google calendar. Thank you. Um, thank you, me. It's, it is cringe until you're successful in a way where it's like when I was in college, like posting my poetry and like posting my like polls on Instagram about sex and dating. Like, yeah, people were 100% like, that's cringy as fucking weird. And like, I was probably losing followers. But why do you think that people are literally looking at you being like, that's cringy? It's because they are jealous that you are brave enough, bold enough, and good enough to put yourself out there. That's the only reason you're not harming anybody. Like, okay, let's say you make an art Instagram page and you're, you love art, but you've been like so scared to share your art. People are probably going to think you're cringe. Like people in your life are going like, to it's so cringe that she can think that she, she can make it or whatever. But the fact that those people are talking like that, the only reason they're doing that, because you're not harming them, you're not affecting them or impacting them in any fucking way. Number one, thank you so much for using your oxygen to say my name. Keep my name in your goddamn mouth. All press is good press. But number two, the only reason they're talking about you is because they're internalizing the fact that they're jealous that you're going to put yourself out there. And the only thing that they can think of to do is be like, oh, that's so cringe. Oh, that's so lame. I'm sorry. I have never watched anybody ever tell a man who's literally doing like a fucking stupid startup or cryptocurrency. Like that's so cringe. That's so lame. Like Shut up. Shut up. What the fuck is the cringe? It's not cringe. It's not cringe. It's cool. You're cool. Lead with confidence. And literally, anybody says that you're cringe, like, please keep talking about me. Thank you so much for talking about me. You're drawing attention to my art page. Thank you. Thank you. On top of that, art is entirely subjective. Like, I love the Glee Cast, like, generally, deeply, truly love it. Other people would literally be like, that is nails on a chalkboard to me. Okay. No, but like they're wrong, but like, you know what I mean? They're actually not wrong. That could be their own personal preference. And my own personal preference is that I like Glee the best. I love fucking Taylor Swift. Some people don't like her. That's fine. Art is subjective. There isn't any bad art. You can't be a shitty artist. If you're alive and you're making something, that's enough and you should share it. Period. End of story. All we're doing is being human and making art. And that's literally it. I also feel like the self-doubt you're feeling isn't necessarily a bad thing. Self-doubting yourself in some way is pretty integral to your own success. Like if you weren't doubting yourself and you weren't like, can I actually do this? Like that would be a little bit weird. You would be maybe a little delulu. And there is a level of delulu to this as well. Two things can be true. Like, yeah, and in, in order for me to sit around and say I'm going to be a best-selling author, I'm going to be an author. That was a little delulu. Okay. But I was also balancing the delusion with a little bit of self-doubt to be like, be fucking for real. Right. But at the end of the day, I got over myself and started sharing my writing and look at where I'm at now. I kind of also knew in a way, like at the end of the day, after I thought through all of this and was like, am I actually going to do this? Am I actually going to start posting my poetry on Instagram and like writing about things like writing about my virginity for my college newspaper? Like, am I actually going to start doing this? I kind of was like, I'll never forgive myself if I don't try. And if I fail, who the fuck cares? Like, okay, so some girls in my sorority know that I failed at my dream. At least I took a shot at my dream. What the fuck were they doing? Like, if I fail, like, okay, my parents know that I tried to be an artist and it didn't work out. So now I'm going to just do something else. Like, okay, big, big whoop. Like, But what if I don't fail? What if I succeed? Like, then what? And that then what was like the thing that I needed to just like, go after it, to just go after it. And it was really like, I'm not even kidding you, probably like my junior, senior year of college when I started started going after it, but I still didn't really truly believe in myself, but I definitely was like going after it more. I started just cold emailing people. I would cold email like Dan Jones, the editor of Modern Love at the New York Times. I cold emailed him and I asked him to come into the New York Times for an informational interview. And he literally said yes. Like, what the fuck? I went to the New York Times building when I was a senior in college, had an interview with this man who I looked up to so fucking much, right? I interviewed, I emailed like every single theater critic at the Washington... Post, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times. I, when I didn't get an internship somewhere, like that was local, I would email them asking them if I could come in and talk about what I did wrong and what I could do better next time. I would cold email authors, writers, literally anybody. And I was just balls to the wall about it. I didn't care. I I had that what if I succeed in my brain the entire time. What if I succeed? What if I succeed? What's the worst case scenario if you send a cold email? They don't reply. Okay, on to the next. I just started to go for it. And eventually, like I said, subconscious thoughts became subconscious actions. And all of a sudden I just was believing in myself. And I think journalism school was a really good wake up call for this because I am not a good news journalist. I am not a good like breaking news journalist girly. Like one thing I learned when I was in J school was that that was not my forte. I am a creative person. I am a creative writer. I am a creative like being and not that journalism isn't creative it definitely can be but the type of journalism we were learning very hard journalism very facts very unbiased wasn't the kind of thing that I thrived at at all and it was just this thing in my brain being like I'm not good at this but there's something that I know I am good at now and so what I want to discuss in this week's episode and the, and the reason that I had Jonathan on is because Jonathan cold emailed me and that's how he started working for me and It was just the most amazing cold email. He literally just sent me this uh, this incredible fucking email, and out of the blue. And now we're a team. And I just I can't urge you enough to just fucking go for it. I think what Serena said on the episode two weeks ago is so true. When she was like, "I'm gonna be on the cover of Vogue. I'm gonna win an Oscar. Like, and at this point, I'm gonna go to the Met Gala. Like." What's her, what's the issue with saying that? Who is she hurting? Nobody. So I want you to look at yourself and say, what do I want? And then I want you to go for it. And I want you to say, I'm good at that. I'm good at yoga. I'm good at being a mom. I'm good at whatever it is because you fucking are. You need to be a little Delulu. Self-doubt is okay. And Literally, it isn't cringe. Anybody who thinks it's cringe is jealous. And without further ado, let's get into this little interview. We talk about Taylor Swift. We talk about being delusional. We talk about all the things. Jonathan is a doll. I love you guys very much. I will see you next week. Have a lovely long weekend. Have a lovely holiday. Whatever you're up to. Enjoy it. And I'm giving you a big hug and a kiss from afar. Love ya. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Miscongeniality. I am So excited for today's episode, for today's guest. It's going to be a really fun one. I have wanted to do this for so long because I just thought, you guys, I talk about my team, my team, my team. I talk about Jonathan all the time, and I couldn't imagine not actually introducing you to members of that team and more people who are a part of my world because I really feel like it's our world. So please welcome to the show, Jonathan. Jonathan works in the show pretty much every single day. So he's pretty familiar, but I'm so excited to have you here.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm so, so honored.
0: I'm I'm literally like, it's so funny because we've only met once, but we're like texting every single day. 24-7. No,
1: literally. It's so funny.
0: 24-7. So I usually like people to introduce themselves because I feel like people can just do themselves more justice than I could do them. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Like give us a little elevator pitch. Who are you? What kind of stuff do you do? What are your interests, fears, dreams, hopes? You know the drill. Yeah.
1: Sure. So my name is Jonathan. I am the social media manager here at Miss Congeniality. I went to school for social, social media management and graphic design and fashion merchandising. And I've just always been like, I would describe myself as a creative. I feel like that term is somewhat overused, but it's just because it's such a vast term that can describe like so many things and that's also kind of my issue is that there's just so many things that I like love to do and want to do in my life that like you know it's kind of hard to pin that down. But yeah, so I do social media management and I just try to stay inspired and see where that inspiration takes me and that's kind of kind of what I do.
0: Do you feel like cuz I feel like a lot of people would say this and I definitely feel this way, do you feel like it take took a level of bravery to like admit to yourself that you wanted to pursue like creativity as an umbrella because I really similarly to you feel like we kind of do similar stuff. Like that's basically where I am too in my life and my career. It's a lot about just what inspires me and staying creative. And I feel like when I was in college to admit that to myself was like an undertaking almost.
1: Oh, it's honestly so terrifying. And it's honestly at times like paralyzing (laughs) because like going into school, like I wanted to go to like, I don't know, I wanted to as a kid, I was like, I dreamed of becoming like the next Tommy Hill figure at times. At times I wanted to be like the next Monet, the next Hemingway and just so many things. And I was like, this is not practical at all. So I chose, um, I actually chose social media because it was like an umbrella of a marketing degree. So I was like, oh, that's so practical. Looking back, I like, I do love it, but like, I kind of wish that like, you know, I had kind of stayed true to everything that like I knew I wanted to do because I feel like if you know what you want to do, you work for it, you got to make those dreams come true and you got to believe that they can.
0: Yeah, I feel like I feel like when you do have more of like a narrow idea of what you want to do and you're more honed in in that way, there's like more on the line. Whereas where, when you keep it really broad because you're scared, you're not as inspired because there's like less on the line for you.
1: 100%. And sometimes I feel like when you keep it so broad too, Like, I don't know, I feel like I dabble in so many things that sometimes, not that you necessarily don't get good at anything, but it it often feels that way. And I feel like sometimes when you don't have that like narrow defined idea of what it is and what you want and what you want to do, sometimes you just feel like you're not good at anything and you're not qualified to do anything, even though that's like a complete lie, but like, you know?
0: Yeah, no, I totally get what you're saying. I was in my conversation with Serena Kerrigan a few weeks ago, we were talking about how like the hardest thing is to like tell yourself what you want and like ask yourself what you want and answer honestly. And I feel like the reason that we sometimes keep ourselves so broad and we don't kind of like go after specifically what we want, even with like dating and whatever we say, like, Oh, I'm so picky. And it's like, maybe you're not picky. Maybe you just know what you fucking want. And for some reason it's like, it's like scary to know what you want.
1: It is. And when you know what you want and it's taking, like in dating, when you know what you want, but you haven't found it yet. Sometimes I struggle a lot with like all or nothing thinking. So sometimes it feels like you might never find it. I know that's something that you talk about, yeah. like too. It's like, just because you haven't found it yet, doesn't mean you're not going to.
0: Totally. Or just because you haven't seen it in the world doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Literally. Um. So I kind of want to talk about, I want to talk about a lot of things, but I kind of want to start by talking about the art of the cold email. And I'm not going to consider Mm -hmm. you an expert because I don't want to put that on you and like, you know, (laughs) overwhelm you in that way. But like for me, for those of you who don't know, and I think I've mentioned it before, Jonathan cold emailed me about working for me and I was definitely considering hiring someone, but there was no active search. And in my life, I before doing what I do now throughout college I was a big cold emailer I would cold email like the theater critics at the New York Times and I would cold email like Dan Jones who is the editor of the Modern Love section over there and I would just ask them questions ask for informational interviews try to put myself in front of them because you just truly you never know and there's like no harm that can be done from a cold email if done right I don't necessarily know if I was doing it right but Jonathan definitely <laughs> did it right when he cold emailed me so I want you to speak to that a little bit like What was your decision process like that? Like when you decided like, okay, I'm going to cold email her. And then when you emailed me, can you tell them a little bit about like the kind of stuff that you included in the email? Because I think that's what really drew me to you sort of as a collaborator and as somebody that I wanted to work with.
1: Yeah, 100%. First off, I appreciate you saying that. I would by no means consider myself an expert, but I think that there is power in the cold email. And contrary to what some people may believe, it's not dead. Um it's just kind of one of those things where I was like, I don't know, I've been a listener for years. And you mentioned probably like a month before I emailed you that like, you were going to look for not you were looking for, but like, you were open to help with marketing, design, all of that good stuff. And, you know, I waited, I waited like a good month, because when <laughs> there's a lot of self doubt, I was just kind of like, that's not going to be a thing that's not going to work out. Why would it? Like, love you, Eli. You're like, you've been one of my favorite creators. And I was like, there's just no way, like that's just too big. But my old coworker and I, we kind of like coined this term together. um, Dream big dreams and allow yourself to believe that they can like come true. And so I kind of just hyped myself up. I was like, okay, we're going to send an email. She's looking, she's open. Let's lay it all out there. And I included my resume. I included my portfolio. And I also included like a mock-up of kind of just like my vision for the Miss Instagram and just kind of taking that branding that you had. So like that you've obviously spent time crafting and just kind of elevating it a little bit to make it not quite businessy, but just that next level.
0: Yeah. And I, I feel like that that was really like the extra mile that some people would maybe be like afraid that they were like coming on too strong or doing too much but I really feel like it's the opposite. Like when you show somebody what, what you're, what you're capable of truly, it kind of makes it all easier for them. Like I didn't have to like even go searching for your work, which realistically wouldn't have been that difficult to like click on an Instagram link. But at the end of the day, presenting it to my face was like, wow, like this person not only like went out of their way to make this, but really wants to work with me and is like passionate about this and clearly understands the brand.
1: Right. And I think that's so important too, especially in like social media and design, like understanding the brand is just such like, it's so, it's so important because if I used to work with clients that were like lawyers and plumbers and doctors, and not that I haven't ever used any of those services, but I would by no means consider myself like a podiatrist's um, target audience. Um, And just knowing like, being a part of said target audience and just knowing that brand, I feel like is so important in being able to like get it right.
0: 100%. Could not agree more. So you kind of like are really good at putting yourself out there. I feel like in terms of this email situation specifically is like a really good example. I'd love you to speak. I'd love for you to speak more to like getting comfortable with putting yourself out there creatively. Like, what did it take for you to believe in your work enough to be like, I'm going to cold email her. I'm going to, you know, start freelancing. I'm going to push myself. I'm going to believe that I can do this. What did it take to get you to a place where you were like, I believe in my creative output and my creative work?
1: It's definitely, it doesn't happen overnight. Um, I can't say that we're hundred percent still there. Self-doubt still exists. Um, but I don't know. It's just kind of like, In the firm that I used to work for, I loved them, loved my bosses. But like in those niches, like I was often directed to kind of like create content that was maybe a little, (laughs) they used to say like, make it uglier because like for say like the 40, 50 year old demographic, like they might not appreciate like a Gen Z pretty shareable design. Yeah. But like, that's what I enjoy. I enjoy content that's shareable. I want to, like, make shit that, like, people are going to want to put on their stories and and believing that, like, I can do those things and that I'm worthy of those things is, I don't know, it takes a lot of journaling, a lot of therapy, but just seeing other people in positions that you are and knowing that they're not in those positions because they're necessarily any better than you, but that they're in those positions because they believe in themselves and they've done the work to get there And that I also, like, can do those things, hone my skill, network, and get where I want to be someday.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's a really good point where it's, like, every single person that we look up to, like, even, like, Taylor Swift, like, literally everyone was at one. Yeah, seriously, she was at one point just, like, a person with a guitar that liked to sing. Do you know what I mean? Like, every single person that we aspire to in some way or we look up to or we acknowledge is, like, one of the greats was like just another gal at some point literally um, so speaking of taylor swift i know you're a big swifty i'm curious like so, who are some of your creative inspirations like since you're such a creative person and there's so many creative outlets that you have design and you know writing and all these different things art what do you look for for creative inspiration and this could be like films or television shows or moments in pop culture or celebrities or writers or kind of anything
1: For sure. Um, Not to like just jump off (laughs) who you were just mentioning, but Taylor has definitely been an inspiration for me since I was like 12 years old, whether that be in terms of being who I am authentically doing what I want, knowing what I want and going after it. Um, She's definitely turned me into quite the hopeless romantic, but also just like there's this one Instagram account that's like design that's always inspired me. It's, subliming dot jpg love their work maude latour i don't know if you're familiar with her her music and visuals are a big inspiration for me um i love miss cheryl Strait. i know you do too yes. you put me on to her and she's changed my life yes um and i mean you've you've honestly been a really big inspiration to me i've been meaning to tell you this but like your content has just like inspired me to like i don't know be exactly who i am and know what I want and go for it. And no matter where I am now, know that I can like get where I want to be. Like I was saying.
0: You're an angel. I love it.
1: I don't know. I just think that women make really good art (laughs) and I've always been so inspired by it. I think that there is a fearlessness within, within like women to like, I feel like women are more comfortable being like subversive and taking control over like getting what they want and doing what they want to do. And that's just very inspiring for me.
0: I love it. So speaking of Taylor Swift, I wanted to get some of your opinions because I feel like a lot of my listeners are also big Swifties. Can we talk a little bit about the Eras tour? I know you went, tell us about oh, the experience, yeah. give us the rundown, like maybe if you have any like hot takes, like not, not maybe the, cause I know you I know you truly deeply like felt this experience. So maybe not oh, like I our run of the mill takes like takes like give no, me some of sure. like the nitty gritty.
1: So I thought it's crazy that she could perform for so long and sing so many. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I don't know. It was such a special day for me. So growing up, my mom and I like listened to Taylor Swift together like I still remember like the first album I bought that wasn't like high school musical was Fearless by Taylor Swift, her sophomore album. And growing up, that was just something that like my mom and I bonded over so much, like listening to her on the car in the car on the way to school. Um, I remember my mom like telling her boss, she was like, "Okay, I'm going to need to not you're not going to talk to me for like two hours until I'm able to get these Taylor Swift tickets for the Speak Now tour. And it was just that was just a big thing for us and my mom like she actually passed away um like six seven it was in 2015 she passed away from cancer and my Aeros tour show was on mother's day so that was actually really special and yeah it was just a whole moment a lot of tears were shed <laughs> so I'm many tears were tears. shed um she sang the best day which is about her mom and from where I was sitting, if I, like, turned around, I could see her mom. And when my mom passed, I, like, I don't know. I didn't – obviously didn't tell her mom this because I've never met her mom. But I told myself, I was like, okay, Andrea Swift, you are my mother now.
0: Yeah, you were like, <laughs> that's my mom too.
1: <laughs> no, literally. And because she and my mom, like, her mom had cancer too. And they were kind of sick at the same time. So, yeah, she's just kind of my chosen adoptive mother. Um, and just, I don't know, hearing all, hearing those songs that I grew up on and just getting to spend Mother's Day in such a special way. Um, it became a day that I didn't dread, which has been a day that I've dreaded for many years because it's just not an easy one.
0: Yeah. And I feel like it, it's kind of, I know that you're like this, like a very spiritual person like I am. It kind of feels like there was some sort of a sign that like the fact that like, the era's tour date that was in your city that you were able to get tickets for happened to be mother's day. Like, I don't know. I don't really believe in coincidences. Like that's a really special thing.
1: I agree. I don't believe in them either. And originally like I wanted to go the night before because the night before was the 13th, you know, 13's her lucky number. And I was like, Oh, that's so cool. Um, on the reputation tour, I saw her in Philly on the 13th and we held hands that night and I was like, Oh, so special. Like the 13th again but i wasn't able to get tickets to that date i was able to get them to the next date and i just yeah i agree it was meant to be
0: i absolutely love that so do you have like a favorite a top 3 taylor swift albums of all time
1: oh top 3 albums folklore lover 1989
0: immediately <laughs> that's
1: that's my current that's Wait, my current answer
0: that's so interesting cuz i feel like the folklore evermore girls are never the like pop <laughs> girls
1: no literally I'm such a pop girl but I also just love the writing
0: I mean I mean you know what like we got to do what we got to do I too love the we writing do.
1: I think Midnight's combines those well but I don't know I just love a pop moment no
0: I agree I also think that the I I think that folklore is a bit different from Evermore in the sense that folklore fits in better with the Lover Reputation Midnight's 1989 stands of it all. Like, I I find myself gravitating toward folklore, and I don't necessarily gravitate toward Evermore as much.
1: I would agree. I would have to agree with you there, and that might be a hot take. I think Evermore, I, I see this going around all the time. It's like Evermore has the better songs, but folklore is a better album. And for me, I just, I love a cohesive album. I love an album that just thematically sonically is so cohesive and folklore is that and it just has the upper edge for me <laughs>
0: it, it has the upper edge period mm. end of story so since I did want to ask you about your sort of like crystal manifestation journey because I don't know that much about crystals I've always been like really fascinated by crystal shops and I have like a couple books about crystals and you recently gave me some crystals but I would love for you to like From a starter perspective, how did you get into it? And, like, how do you recommend the girls get into it? And, like, I guess we can go from there.
1: (laughs) For sure. So ever since I was, like, a little, like, a child, like, an infant. Not an infant, but I, like, have always, like, I had a rock collection growing up. And, like, looking back, like, those were definitely, like, crystals. But, like, you know, it was just, like, fun little rocks. And I thought they were pretty. And then I'd say 2022, January of 2022, I was just, like, not in the best place, like, emotionally. Um, And I was just kind of, like, looking for something. Not that, like, I think they necessarily are, like, you know, a one-stop shop. But, like, I was just looking for a little something extra. And so I went into a crystal shop um, in the town I was living in. And, oh, I just found so much peace there. And it, I don't know, it might have been... It might be the crystals, it might be the environment, it might be, who knows what it is. My whole thing is, like, the different crystals say they have these different, like, different, like, properties and powers. That very well could be true. It could be not. If it's not, I just think they're, like, such a good, like, reminder of the intention that you set with them. And, like, carrying them around is just such, like, just a reminder. Just of, like, the things that you need to work on, the things that you want to see like manifest into your life and just knowing that like you're not alone with it, even if it's just like through a crystal that you carry in your pocket that like is working with you. I don't know. Just, I don't know if that makes sense.
0: No, that totally makes sense. I'm curious. Like if you have recommendations for like starter crystals, like the first few crystals in someone's collection, like what would you recommend people get? And like, do you know off the top of your head, like what they're for?
1: Oh, for sure, um, selenite, incredible. Selenite is cleansing. Selenite is so it it cleanses and it like so it like cleanses other crystals and it also like charges them, which like charging. How would I describe that? Just like kind of like amplifying like their intention and what they're supposed to do for you. Um, amethyst is a really good one. Amethyst is like good for. I just feel like a general peace, like anxiety, all that. Rose quartz for some love, some self-love. These are all such basic ones, but I feel like you have... Things are basic gotta go for basic. a reason. So no, true. literally. Things are basic for a reason. They're basic because they're good. They're basic because they're a good place to start. Um, and then I'd also recommend like a smoky quartz or like a black tourmaline. You got to have something, some sort of protection on you.
0: That one's like a protector.
1: Yeah. Any of the darker crystals are typically like grounding and protective
0: and do you get these at like a shop like where would you recommend shopping is there like an online place people can go
1: i haven't found a good online store yet i know there's a lot out there um i worked at a store called grounded earth i would highly recommend them but they have not got that online shop up and running yet
0: (laughs) yeah we need any recommendation for an online crystal shop
1: no please please let us know
0: send it our way like immediately and thank you Um, Jonathan, what, like, if I had to ask you, like, in five years, your dream, what are you doing and where?
1: In five years, I will be in New York. I'm working on getting there now.
0: Yes. Um,
1: I will be in New York. Um, I don't know. I kind of want to do it all. Like, you know, that, (laughs) that song from High School Musical, like, I want it all. That's how I feel about, like, my future. (laughs) yeah like I just there's so many big things and I want to do them all I want to I know exactly what it is I want to be in a place where I feel full creative freedom and control over my life and I can go after any creative pursuits without letting the fear of failure inhibit me
0: yeah I love that I'm so glad that you were the first person on my team to introduce yourself to everybody. I absolutely can't wait for people to like get to know you better and follow along with you. Can you just shout out like your handles, Instas, where we can find your work? Um, And this is going to be the beginning of me hopefully getting to introduce other people on my team as well and hear a little bit about what they do and how kind of like things come to life creatively and so that you guys can be inspired to kind of go after the same stuff.
1: Yes, one hundred percent. So on Instagram and TikTok, I am Jonathan Huey. That's J O N A T H A N H U E Y. Because I always have to spell it for people. And then what else was I going to say? Oh, I was just going to say you have the best team ever at the pre-order party. I just getting to meet everyone in person. It just it was so good. You have a great team,
0: and I'm so honored to be a part of it. I'm so glad you're a part of it. Thank you so so much. I will talk to you guys soon and we will see you next week. Bye.